Church, you look beautiful. Can I tell you that? I, uh, I have to admit, I sat back there thinking about where we were a year ago. And uh, I just need to say thank you. Thank you for staying engaged. Thank you for riding this roller coaster that not just our church, but I think every church in America has been riding. We just got to do a particularly crazy version of it. Um, and I just want you to know uh, how grateful I am that we're here today together, whether you're worshiping with us online or whether you're in the room. Uh, God has been faithful. So let's pray for a minute. God, we thank you that you are indeed a good, good father. That's who you are. And that when we stand in that reality, we experience peace. And we experience your faithfulness. And uh, we experience your forgiveness. And so this day, as we continue to worship, would you, in fact... Soften our hearts again. Might we hear your word again? Would you reorient our hearts and our minds and our lives towards your kingdom again? And all God's people said, amen. So during my sophomore year of college, uh, some of you know this already, but I spent a summer in Tanzania East Africa. Now, because of a number of uh, issues that kind of happened with our train tickets, we ended up driving from the capital, which was in Dar es, which is Dar es Salaam, to Jombe. It's about a 12-hour trip in the back of a pickup truck. Yes. Uh, now, uh, you can see, uh, because our, project, our new projectors have not arrived yet, it's a little bit grainy, uh, I promise you that's me in the middle, on the far side. And sometimes we had the uh, cover over, but it actually got really warm, so we took the cover off quite a bit of the trip. And uh, let me just tell you, you have not lived until you have driven two days, 12 hours, in the back of a pickup truck across Tanzania, East Africa. It is a thing. And while there were a number of things about it that were really uh, not comfortable, at all, uh, there were some things that were amazing because we got to see so many beautiful things. Now, one of the things, though, I learned really quickly is that I had not a clue what was dangerous. Because, for example, we were driving along in that pickup truck and uh, we came across a big herd of baboons on the road. And so the driver stopped and the herd of baboons started to circle the pickup truck. Now, the top was down, which means we were like from here to there to baboons. And I have to tell you, I was in the lap of the person I was riding with because we were so freaked out. I mean, I was just hyperventilating. I could not believe it. And then I became aware that my driver was laughing laughing and it 
I realized, oh, he feels no sense of danger whatsoever. In fact, he's entertained by my terror at this moment, our terror, let's be honest. And so sure enough, he started to giggle. He tapped the horn twice. The baboons went, and we went on the road. I was like, okay, okay. And then we went another couple hours, and we were stopped because there were giraffes over here. And so we had our cameras out, and we're taking all these pictures. And then out of the corner of my eye, I turn, and I realize there's an elephant over here running. Now, that elephant seems like a fairly good distance away, and so I think this is awesome. And so I flip to turn and take pictures, and I think the driver saw it at that point, too. And then I think he swore in Swahili. I don't know for sure, but he was clearly panicked. I'll never forget. And I thought, once again, I have no idea what's dangerous out here. And he literally slammed on the accelerator and about threw us back. But he was clearly understood that elephants run faster than I think they do. And over and over again during that trip, what I realized is that my instincts were useless in that culture. I mean, really, really poor. And that without a guide, I was in serious trouble. I would make all the wrong decisions. And I think that's what Jesus has been trying to say to us for several weeks through the Gospel of Mark. I think his consistent message to us has been that our attempts to save our life, our instincts about what is safe and what is dangerous, are completely screwed up. John Calvin says that we are from birth. We just have really bad instincts about what, in fact, will bring us life. We need a guide. Someone who we can trust, who sees what we don't see, and then redefines for us what is harmless and what is dangerous. And so one more time this morning, as we begin to arc down through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to hear Jesus make this point in a particularly powerful way, I think, again today. So if you have your Bible, open it up with me to Mark 12. We're going to start in verse 38, and we're going to go through 44. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. You can follow along on the screens. And we begin, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow 
has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem, and in fact, at this moment, they are in the heart of Jerusalem, in the temple. Now, this is the hub of worship. This is the hub of the community. And if it were me, I might think, okay, we've arrived at the refuge, the place where there will be comfort and peace before all kinds of terror breaks out. Seems like it should be safe, right? A place where Jesus is recognized and known, surrounded by people who know the scriptures and love God. But we find out once again that that is not the case. In fact, Jesus says it to his disciples, look more deeply. Sure, it appears that things are good, but appearances deceive. The people who know the Bible best should be most humble, most servant-hearted, the ones who are most worried about the poor. Instead, this group of religious folk have grown accustomed to dressing to impress. They've grown to love attention and honor, even though they look righteous. Now, once again, I can't put too much blame on the Pharisees. I mean, who doesn't like to feel good about how they look? Who doesn't like getting likes on Facebook or Instagram? Who doesn't like being treated with respect and importance? But here's the thing. Those things aren't bad and necessarily bad in and of themselves. But Jesus says, watch out, because those things are happening at a cost. And it if you don't pay attention, you miss the cost. It was in a very simple phrase. They devour widows' homes. I don't know if you caught that. It was kind of tucked in the middle of that whole critique of the teachers of the law. And I wonder, when I read it, I thought, how is that happening? I mean, that's a real, real strong statement, Jesus. Well, I think to understand how that's happening, you just need a little historical context. I did, at least. So when the people of God were being instructed by God, this is what your community will look like. Back in Deuteronomy 14, he instructs that every three years, 10% of what the people of God gather and grow and collect will be brought to the temple in Jerusalem. And it will support, you'll notice at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year. It's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, so in other words, the people who work in the temple, as well as the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. 
So in other words, all of the people in the community who had no ability to provide for themselves were supposed to be able to come to the temple in Jerusalem, and out of the abundance of the community, they would be cared for. But here's the thing that's kind of tricky, right? Is that the people who were in charge of collecting that offering benefited from it. There was a game that my uh, siblings used to play. We'd have a pot of, you know, cards that we were playing. And my brother, bless his heart, uh, would cheat. He was, he was younger than me. And so he'd be passing out cards and... It would be, this is what would happen, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. But then pretty soon it'd be two for him, one for me. Only he wouldn't say it out loud, it just happened, right? And then pretty soon if he got away with it, it was three for him, one for me. And you can imagine, then it's a lot easier to play go fish when you have more cards in your hand. And that's what the teachers of the law had started doing. It was easier to win the game and buy the flowing robes when there's four for me and one for you. Or maybe six for me over time and half for the widow. And well, maybe the foreigners don't deserve a, a bit. I, well, and you know, and you can see how in, at the end they have become accustomed to a certain lifestyle and they are prioritizing what they want over what others need. And so Jesus looks at them and looks at his disciples and says, guess what? It looks good on the outside. It's rotten on the inside. In fact, if we look at the verse from Exodus that here, it says that God God says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. For if you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. The beautiful thing is that Jesus says, this is not okay. And justice is going to come. But the disciples, you have to understand, the disciples are probably sitting there thinking, what? These are the people we look up to. These are the people we respect. They look like religious folks. And Jesus says, yep, and it's a facade. How many of you have ever been to a Pella, Iowa? I lived there, so I can say this, okay? So have you ever been on the square? Yeah, it looks beautiful. There's all these wonderful, like, Dutch facades is what they are. It's an external front that hides, in some cases, a really decrepit building. And that is what Jesus says is happening in this place. And so he looks at his disciples and says, look deeper. Appearances deceive. Look for fruit. Don't settle for what it looks like on the outside. And then he does it again. All right? So now we move to the second part of the passage. Now, once again, remember they're in the temple. And According to historical accounts, there were 13 offering boxes placed around the court. And part of how they were constructed, we know from the historical records, is that there was a brass funnel that went into the 
offering box. Now, some people think it had a wide bottom at the bottom and a narrow part at the top. Other people think it was the other way around. There's another picture here that shows, um, you can see they were kind of embedded into the wall and there was these brass funnels. But you get the picture, right? You have a metal attached to a wooden box to catch the coins. Now, there was a reason they did this. Um, there was no Venmo. I know that's shocking to y'all, but no Venmo, no bills, no credit cards. It's all coins, all right? And so they needed, a, they needed a way to funnel all those coins into the box. Only, guess what they called these? Trumpets. Do you know why? Because when coins hit this, they would ring. Back, oh, that was helpful that the air just went off. Okay, let me do it again. Right? You hear it, right? They were designed to call attention to how much people were giving. Now, I just put in two pennies, right? That doesn't make a lot of noise. It makes a little. Okay, I stole my husband's penny jar. Okay, but because it, it says what happens, right? There were people who came and brought very large gifts that they threw into the offering. Now, human nature, what are you going to pay attention to? What's going to catch your ear? The two or the lot? Okay, that was not a hypothetical question. Are you still awake? Which one catches your attention? The loud one, right? And so you can imagine there's 13 of these all around the court. And so for the average person sitting in the room, they're talking and all of a sudden they hear a really loud, right? And they look, who did that? Who gave that much, right? And so Jesus, once again, it says he calls his disciples over and says, while you've been busy getting distracted by all the power and all the money and all the stuff, let me show you something really important that's happened. And it's not just beautiful, it's also terrible. See, what Jesus says is that widow, the one who just put in the little two pennies, she gave all that she had. And that is a beautiful gesture of sacrifice and faith in God who will provide. But that is also terrible that she just did that. Because in this place, a widow should never give her last cent. In this place, that widow should be taken care of. That treasury that's being collected should make it possible that she has food to eat and a place to be. But the Disciples won't notice that. We won't notice those things if we don't have somebody who calls our attention to it. So let me ask you this morning, in the chaos of the world, what is your attention drawn to? 
the loud, the things that have a lot of money associated with them, the dramatic, the angry. I think left to our own devices, that will always be what our attention is drawn to. We will be drawn to things that think, make us feel better about ourselves. We will be drawn to things that look powerful, that look, that make us feel good. And what we need, what we need is to slow down and let Jesus show us what's really important. See, I think the most important part of this text is at the very center. It's verse 41. It says, and then Jesus sat down and watched. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I am going 100 miles an hour, I am not going to see what Jesus sees. And I am not going to love what Jesus loves. And I am not going to see what is terrible about the world around me. It will only happen if I sit myself down. Probably a couple times a day. And I let the word of God and the words of Jesus reshape my priorities and my impulses and my instincts. Romans says it this way, we should be transformed, right, by the renewing of our minds. That means we can't assume we know what we're doing. We need God's help. I need to retrain my impulses, admit that I do not know up from down. I don't know if a baboon is dangerous or an elephant is dangerous. And so do you. This week, I was driving to church early in the morning, one morning. I was listening to a news channel because, you know, I told myself, I got to be caught up, which is true. I do at some point, but... My brain was going 100 miles an hour. I had been out of bed. I would started on my phone before I even got out of bed. That's not good, by the way. Answering emails, trying to stay ahead. And I was driving, and I just felt like I had been reading this passage. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I looked up off my phone. Oh, you didn't hear me say that, did you? <laughs> you, yes, okay, so... Now I'm blushing. Um, and the sunset was beautiful. And I just felt like God said to me, what are you going to pay attention to, Suzanne, today? You going you to pay attention to that? Are you going to listen to the media or are you going to listen to me? Are you going to notice all the headlines and get obsessed over them? Or are you going to notice the people who are serving out here cutting down trees that are diseased for us for free? 
And I thought, touche. Friends, your instincts stink. And so do mine. That's why Jesus kept saying to us, if you want to save your life, lose it. That's the only way. Let me show you. And when we do, we find out really beautiful things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we confess that we run fast and we love the loud and we are attracted to the clamor and to the things that make our ego feel better and make us feel more secure. And I pray that today we would hear your voice saying, sit down. Sit down and let me show you what I'm doing around you. And let me show you what is not of me and what is of me. And God, I thank you that you love to teach us, that you love to welcome us into those places, that you do not abandon us to our sinful nature, but that you came And you came to show us the way. You came so that we would know life and have it abundantly. So open our eyes this week. In Jesus' name, amen.